thanks for letting me come. Um, I, the microphone wasn't quite working, so I'm an old street preacher, so I thought I could probably be heard from all you guys. Um, but I want to start by just saying uh, thank you for letting Katie and I come this evening and for letting me share. And we have a real strong love for you guys and for this church. You guys reached out to us uh, three years ago. I think we had my first lunch, Ramsey and Dave, and probably Jody was there. And uh, we're just praying about how we could uh, partner together in, in serving kids in need. And uh, y'all have been just faithful supporters of ours, praying for us. Uh, supporting us financially, some Christmas presents for the kids in the past, and um, allowed us to come and share a little bit last year. It's uh, You guys are not uh, consumer Christians. I think you shared that uh, earlier when you were up front. It's, you guys are what you call drive-through Christians, I think is what you called it. Uh, you guys are, are living it out, and and it is wonderful to be able to partner with you. Uh, just a little bit about myself. Uh, Katie and I met in college and both felt called to the mission field. So, um, my goodness, it's been, I think, over 30 years ago that we uh, we went overseas and smuggled Bibles to the underground church in the Soviet Union. And that's kind of where we got our start, um, which was kind of crazy. It was like James Bond for Jesus, you know, <laughs> got to break the law for God, uh, which was really awesome. And um, I'm, I'm going to talk about kids in need, but I'm also going to share from the Word of God. You guys are here, and uh, you're here for worship, and so we're going to look in God's Word as well as hear some about what's going on. But Katie and I were, um, our hearts were opened up to kids in need because we were there when the Iron Curtain fell, and all over Russia and Eastern Europe, we saw thousands and thousands of orphanages and orphans and kids that needed moms and dads and so uh, way back then we got to be part of that working in those orphanages and that's really where God gave us that heart. Uh, ended up kind of back and forth uh, in the states a little bit but mainly overseas for 20 years. Raised three boys overseas um, and we're not just working with orphans but then got involved with church planning and supporting local churches and then um, gosh it's been 12 13 years ago now, God called us back to the United States, and it was here in San Antonio that my eyes were open to a mission field that I really had not ever paid attention to, and that was uh, the kids in our backyards that have been taken out of unsafe homes where there's been bad things happening, and uh, the crazy thing is Texas is looking at the church as being a big source of helping care for these children, and so uh, God kind of pulled us into that work and have been working there ever since, and working with children rescued from abuse and neglect feels every bit as much, if not more, of doing God's work than anything we did overseas, because these are kids in our backyards who need God, who need God's love, who need Jesus, and we get to be part of sharing uh, God's love with them and, and putting them in homes where they can hear about God's love and about salvation through Jesus. And so it's just a real honor and a blessing for us to be involved in that. Devereaux's have been a wonderful family, taking kids into their homes. We had to defend them one time because CPS was like, 
Why do they have chickens in their house? <laughs> but it's because they had some brand new baby chicks and it was freezing outside. They were not going to let the chicks freeze. And CPS was like, no chickens in the house. And we're like, they are giving the best love ever to these kids. Are you really going to gripe about chickens? And they were like, just take them out of the house. And we're like, okay. And you guys moved them out onto the front porch for air that. Uh, and they became so... Um, beloved by by CPS and then they were like this is the greatest family just pouring God's love uh, into these kids and got to see the kids go back to family and then kind of even to reach out and to minister to them that's really uh, what it's about it's not just uh, this it's not about taking children away from parents it's really about restoration it's about redemption and uh, using that opportunity to share God's love with them and maybe they will get to go back if we can reach out and, and support the parents so I want to um, tell you a little story, a true story that happened a couple of years ago. Um, on May the 14th, 2017, Child Protective Services received a referral alleging the phys physical neglect and neglectful supervision of three children by both their parents. The report alleged that the children were covered in vomit had not been bathed in weeks, and two were suffering severe diaper rash. It was also reported that marijuana and cocaine were observed on a coffee table within reach of the children. So CPS came in and investigated, and upon investigation, it was revealed this wasn't the first time that CPS had been involved in the parents, but in fact, there had been a total of five investigations dating back to 2011, and the parents had already been convicted of uh, physical abuse and neglect of their children in 2014, but they had new children. And so every time a parent, even if they've lost other children, when they have a new child, that's a new case and they're given a new chance to be the parents that they should be. And yet they had not done well. So the three children were taken away from their children, uh, from their parents in May of 2017. But the Problem was there was not a home where all three children could be placed together, which is often the case uh, with multiple siblings being removed. So they were separated. Um, but just a few months later in October, one of our families that had been newly licensed, the Timber family, I'm changing some names here uh, just to keep them everybody safe, but uh, the Timbers said, you know what, we'll take all three of them. And so uh, the children were really happy to be together with their brothers and sisters, and they were um, placed into the Timbers' home. Now, the Timbers had uh, two birth ch children and an adopted child, but they instantly doubled the number of kids in their home. You can imagine it got quite a bit busier around the Timber house. And uh, they started caring for the kids and loving them, and then they had visits. The children had visits with their mom. And so uh, the father was unfortunately incarcerated. He was kind of in and out of jail because of drugs and violence. And so the mom was fairly consistent in visiting with the kids. And Miss Timber was always kind to her and had a word of encouragement for her when they would uh, connect for the, the visits that they had. But the parents tried as much as trying as much as they could. They were not able to break the cycle of bad choices. And so in spring of 2018, uh, the parents went before court for what we call the trial uh, of merits. So they're 
standing before a judge who is uh, hearing about what has happened in the past and hearing what they've done in the last 12 months to try to make things better. And um, it, so there's the, a trial is always very, very emotional. And in CPS world, there's a lot of people all standing up in front of the judge, giving testimony, cross-examination. It's not quite like on TV, but rather everybody's standing together and it wasn't going well. And so after a while, the judge called a recess and everybody went out into the hallway to take a breather. And while we were out in the hallway, and the hallways in Bear County, a Bear County courthouse are very, very wide. There's lots of um, room there. And so we were with the foster parents and with CPS on one side, and then the, the birth parents were over in another section. And at one point, the attorney for the birth parents came over to us and said, my client, the mom, would like to speak with the foster mom. And so the foster mom said, well, yeah, if there's anything I can do. And so she stepped aside and the birth mom stepped aside and they kind of went over to another area where they could speak in private. And the birth mom looked at Mrs. Timber and said, uh, you're the best thing that has ever happened to my children. If I were to give up my parental rights, would you adopt them? And with tears in her eyes, uh, Mrs. Timber said, yeah, we would, we would be honored to raise your children and to love and to provide for them. And so um, the recess ended and they went back into court and mom and dad, the birth parents, went before the judge and said, judge, we wanna end the trial now and we don't want to get our children back anymore, provided that you will allow the Timbers to adopt our children, we're willing to give up our right to be, to, rights to be their parents. And so. That's exactly what happened, and the um, parents gave up their rights, and the Timbers adopted them, but the Timbers said, we don't want to cut you off forever from your children, so they've been working at maintaining contact with the mom and dad so that uh, the children don't forever lose that connection to their birth parents, and um, what, a, what an amazing story of redemption of how God used this family to bless these kids and then to even try to keep them connected with the birth parents. Things like that are often challenging. The birth parents sometimes become very difficult to find, but they're working hard at it. And so they had, a few months later, they adopted the children. And as I have been working in this field uh, of serving abused, neglected, and abandoned children, and then oftentimes seeing them adopted into a wonderful, loving family that we call these days a forever family, uh, it's become more and more clear to me that, and I think it would be clear to you as well, as, as we read the, the, the Bible, as we read the Word of God, the Word, really the whole narrative, the story is of, of us being adopted. That God, we were separated from Him, because of our choices and our sins and our bad things that we did. And then he became one of us and Jesus came and died. And it says, so turn to, well, I told you we're going to look in the words and we're going to. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And this is just one of several different passages where it says in Ephesians 1, I'll give you just a second to see people looking it up. So it's Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says this, for he, meaning God, 
chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That word in the Greek is the same word that we use today for adopted, that we are adopted in God's family. And it's not the, it's not the only passage. There are other passages where, again, we're referred to as adopted into God's family and that Jesus is our brother. He's the first brother of all. He's the um, lead brother, but we are brothers and sisters with him because we're adopted into God's family. And we're adopted into God's family when we believe and have faith in Jesus and ask him to be the Lord of our lives. And God says, come on in. I want you to receive a new family with a new name and a new future and a new everything because the old is gone and now everything is new. And as we're adopted in that family, God the Father pours his love out on us. He uh, shows his favor to us. He um, comes to us and, and we worship him together. And it's, it's a, uh, a beautiful introduction into the family. And we're rescued from a terrible fate that would be ours if we weren't adopted into the family. That our future, apart from being in the family of God, is not a very hopeful one. But rather, once we're adopted, then we have a wonderful future to look forward to, but because we are adopted into God's family. And so this heart of adoption, of taking those out of terrible situations and then bringing them into redemption is, is really what the whole Bible story is about. And so families that say yes to adoption in, in our life are doing very much the same thing for the kids that they're bringing into their families if it goes as far as adoption. In some cases, like I said, we're very, very happy when the birth parents make the choices and the children are able to go back. But if not, then we're always thrilled when they're able to come into a, a forever home. But I want to throw a few scriptures at you guys that just kind of talk about God's heart for the fatherless. Because we are adopted into his family, but he, speaking of earthly children, really has a heart for, for kids, for, for the orphan, for kids that don't have a home. And so I'm going to um, see, we want to go ahead and look at the, the scripture in Psalm chapter 68, 5 and 6. I'm going to fire off like five or six scriptures pretty quick. So this could be like a wanna Bible drill, right? You got your hand ready, wham, get to it. Uh, or with me, it's the phone. You just kind of thumb until you get to where you're going. But Psalm chapter 68, verses 5 and 6 says this, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. The book of Deuteronomy, it says, God executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and he shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothes. In Isaiah, I see they're up here so you guys can follow along, chapter 1, verse 17, uh, Isaiah says, Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphans, plead for the widow. Proverbs 23, 
uh, verses 10 and 11 says, Do not move the ancient boundary or go into the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. And then again in the New Testament, Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, cry out, Abba, Father. So uh, a friend of mine, Pastor Jeff Harris, he's a pastor of Grace Point Church in, um, in the medical center. And as he was looking through the scriptures and we were talking about God's heart for the fatherless, he shared with me, he said, John, I, I did a kind of a word search and was looking, at, you know, where... Where all in the Bible does it talk about God's heart for the orphan, for the fatherless, for, for kids in need? And he said, uh, there is out of all 66 books in the Bible, in every single book, you will find a reference. You will find something referring to God's heart for the orphan or God's heart for the fatherless or God's heart for those that are very, very needy. But really, it's more about the orphan and <coughs> children. And so, God's heart for kids in general, but his heart for those who don't have moms and dads, for the orphans, is very, very clear that it is something that is very near and dear to his heart. Now, speaking of children in general, Jesus said, that the angels that protect kids have direct access to the Father, which I think is pretty interesting. I figured all angels had direct access to the Father. I don't know. But Jesus points out, he goes, those guys, they got a, a what do you call it, an express lane to get up there because that's how important the kids are to, uh, to the Father. And so... If we're truly followers of Christ, then our desire is to become more like him. Our desire is to draw closer to him. And I would think that the things that are of his heart, that are on his heart, that are a priority to him would become more and more important to us. And it's clear that God's heart is very much for the orphan. Um, you may want to turn to chapter uh, to Matthew chapter 25. Because I want to look at a, a passage there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But um, I think this is very telling, again, of, of what God's heart is. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he talks about in the end, at, at the end of days that they'll be gathered and the, the sheep will be on the right hand and the goats will be on the left. And he kind of speaks to them. And... He says to the sheep, which he calls the righteous, you guys did all these amazing things for me, and that's one of the reasons that you're here, that you're my sheep. And they reply, so we're going to pick it up in verses 37, where the folks have just been told by Jesus, thanks for doing all those wonderful things for me. And they look at him and they say, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or when do we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison, or go to visit you, and, and go, uh, go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, 
whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so, for me, as I read God's word, Christianity is not just something that I believe. It's not just a, a stagnant sitting, I believe something. But rather, it's my faith is something that I want to live out. It's something that should affect my everyday, my day-to-day -day life. And I believe that's what we're called to. Is It's not that I'm earning my salvation, but rather as I'm receiving God's love and receiving his filling of just his love and his goodness and his transformation of me, then there's this just natural flow out of that. I want to serve him and I want to be more like him. And... I believe very much part of that is caring for uh, orphans and, and the fatherless. And, but I can tell you that was not always my way of seeing things. Uh, when I graduated, so I went to college, and like I said, Katie and I felt called uh, to serve God, but I wasn't interested in serving uh, fatherless kids at all at that time. I wouldn't say I wasn't interested, it just they weren't on my radar. I felt called to go behind the Iron Curtain. We learned to speak Russian, found ways to get back there and to smuggle Bibles, and that was um, what I was called to. And I felt like I was doing what God wanted, and I, I didn't know anything about this foster care thing. I think for me it was just like a government deal and it was their problem, not mine. And definitely, I don't think I ever heard in any church um, as I was growing up or as I was um, in college a message about uh, foster care or our responsibility for those kids. And so it was just something that was um, I was blind to. But as we came back here to the United States um, 13, 14 years ago, uh, God opened our eyes to this, and I want to point out uh, one more verse to you guys in James chapter 1, verse 27. And you'll hear this verse referred to a lot when you're talking with folks that have a heart for orphans, that have a heart for foster care and adoption. And um, so when I was, when I was in uh, Bible school, so we grad, I graduated from college and went to a missionary Bible school, and we had to, for one year, I had to memorize one verse of the Bible every day. So every day I'm having to memorize a new Bible verse. And, you know, you start off and you're like picking the ones that you like, but after a while you're like, oh my goodness, this is, this is a lot. So what a lot of us ended up doing is we would just memorize whole books of the Bible or a whole chapter, things like that. And um, it, man, it was very challenging, but I tell you, God's used that in my life from that point forward, just having that, that word in me, he'll pull it up. But the reason I bring it up is I memorized the whole book of James. I remember, I, was, I think I started off with like, what are the shortest books? I'll memorize those, you know, <laughs> Philemon. It's like 40 verses. I could do that. And it was, you know, Jesus wept. That was my first verse, of course. And so I'm memorizing all these chapters, verses, and um, and I cannot say it was all fun. I promise you it was not, but it was, God's used it. But at one point I said, all right, let me memorize the book of James. And so I memorized that entire book 
And looking back on it, I don't remember James 1.27 sticking out to me. I, obviously, I remember the verse because I had to memorize it. But it, I don't think it was something that just grabbed me. Uh, and I'm not sure why, but I don't believe you can read this verse with integrity and say it's not important and say it doesn't matter. Because what it says in James chapter 127 is pure and genuine religion. So the best that you can have. In the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And so here we're saying by God's standard himself, so pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father, his opinion according to this verse is that if we're truly following him, we will be part some in some way, somehow, of caring for orphans and widows and keeping ourselves from being defiled by the world and I believe that applies to every one of us. I do not believe everybody is called to be a foster parent. I don't believe everybody has to adopt. I do not believe that at all. I think it's something God calls us to. But I believe there's other ways that all of us could do something and that we could serve. And so, um, about 150 years ago, well, let me, let me ask you this question. Let me back up. Think back on your history classes. And when you think back in history 200, 300, 400 years ago, what was the institution really across the world that cared for orphans, that took care of homeless children? It was the church, wasn't it? Think about it, yeah. It was the church that cared for orphans. And actually, when America was first started, uh, when, the settler, when the pilgrims came over and all, it was also the church that cared for uh, children also whose parents died or whose uh, were orphans for some reason. And literally all the way up until 1874, so it was after the Civil War that the government got involved in helping children in need. Uh, was actually in 1874, and it was in New York City, and there was a, a girl, Mary Ellen Baker, who was 11 years old. We actually have a photo, which I didn't bring tonight, but there's a photo. You can look up her name, uh, Google it, and she was the first child to be a foster child in the United States of America. It was in 1874, and she was in a horrible situation where she was being badly mistreated by her family and the police investigated but they could not remove Mary Ellen because in 1874 there were literally no laws against child abuse. It was okay. Kids were considered the property of their parents and they could do with them what they wanted. And so there was a Methodist missionary who was trying to reach Mary Ellen and help her. And so she actually went before a judge and said, Judge, you are right. There are no laws currently against uh, child abuse. But according to science, 
children or humans are part of the animal kingdom and there are laws against animal abuse. And so Mary Ellen was actually removed by the dog catcher because that was the only authority that they had to remove her. But what it did was it, it kind of shook everybody and made everybody wake up and said, you know what, there's a lot of uh, bad things going on. And so the government got involved. And so when they did, they kind of slowly but surely took over. And from 1874 up until now, uh, primarily when kids are being mistreated, it's the government that gets involved and it's the government that uh, takes, uh, it's a judge's order that removes the children from their parents. But here's the interesting thing about foster care, because I, I knew almost nothing about, I really probably didn't know anything about foster care when I was first getting pulled into this, is that when the state removes a child from their parents, the law states that the, the state must do everything within its power to help the parents get their children back. And so the state is actually supposed to be intervening and helping mom and dad fix what's wrong that caused their children to be removed so that they can get them back. And they have a year to do that. So the state says, we'll give you 12 months to clean up your home and your life and what's going on so that you can have your children back. If you get done faster, you can get them back sooner, but the longest we're gonna give you is 12 months. So foster care is children who have been taken out of unsafe homes and they come into my home and stay with me for about a year so that their parents can change what's wrong so they can get their children back. Now, uh, I'm not gonna bore you with a ton of statistics, but I do wanna give you a couple. The sad truth is in Texas that when children come into foster care, uh, after that one year, only a third go back to their moms and dads, which means two-thirds mom and dad didn't change what needed to be changed. So out of that, a third go back. Another third are adopted by other family members. So grandparents raising their kids, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, things like that. But that leaves a third of the children that have no family that need to be adopted. And right now in Texas, that's uh, right under 10,000 children that are looking for forever homes tonight. Uh, it's actually, I think it's around 8,000 now. But here's the interesting thing is we don't have, so the state of Texas, there is a huge deficit. We don't have near enough foster homes. We don't have near enough folks interested in adoption. <coughs> and so, God has given us a governor and lieutenant governor that I believe are followers of Christ and the, the state, there's, a, there's not enough homes. So Texas is reaching out literally to the church. And in Austin, in the Department of Family and Protective Services building, right in the middle of the whole Texas government, right near the Capitol, is a whole floor that's called the um, faith-based initiative where the government is reaching out to churches and saying, would you please help us find loving, safe homes 
for these kids. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Um, and so here's the crazy thing. If you were, if you felt God calling you to do this and you took a child from the state into your home, you are freely allowed to bring them to church. You can buy them Bibles. You can buy them a kid's Bible. You can read them Bible stories before bed, pray. You can raise them the exact same way that you raise your children. There are no restrictions on foster families sharing their faith with their kids, which is absolutely shocking because Katie, my wife, was a high school teacher for 10 years. She couldn't, she was forbidden to say the word God in her classroom because it was a public school. So here we have the schools totally shoving God out. And then on the other hand, here we have the government saying, church, please help our children. We need good loving homes. Now there are two restrictions on Christians as far as sharing their faith with kids in their homes. Number one, you're not allowed to force them to believe what you believe. To which I say, try that with your birth kids, right? <laughs> We're not supposed to support them either, so I have no problem with that. But I'm allowed to share my faith. I'm allowed to uh, send them to church camp or you know anything like that. The other rule is if they come into my, if I'm a foster parent and they come into my home and they already have a faith that they're practicing, then I need to honor that. I can't tell them you got to come to my church. You have a church you go to, fine. We'll find a way that we can get you to be able to go that or whatever your faith is. And so if they have a faith, then that has to be honored. But what our experience is, is that I, I would say easily 90% of the kids that come into care have no faith whatsoever. They're unchurched. And so they're not saying, well, I'm this or I'm that, and I don't want to go to your church. That's not what we're seeing. It's rather we'll go where you go. Um, and so here the, the state is reaching out to us, the church, and saying, we want your help. And if you say yes to a foster child, the state even helps a little bit financially that foster parents uh, receive what's called a reimbursement because it's not something you're going to make money off of. But if you take a foster child into your home, then the government, as a way of helping with costs, uh, gives foster parents uh, a minimum of about $800 a month so that they can help feed them and because you're you're treating them as if they're your child you're buying clothes for them and everything that you pay for your kids you're paying for them but the government is even so the, here's the government reaching out to us the church and saying take our kids the ones that really have the worst histories who really need god's love so badly take them into your home share your faith love uh love them bring them to church send them to camp um, and we'll even give you some spending money to do it, so to speak, which is, I, I just, I find that so, such a wonderful gift that God's given us here. Now, but again, not everybody's called a foster because uh, it is it is challenging, but I think we can all be involved in one way or another. I, I Like I said, I don't want to overwhelm you with stats, but I did have a slide, if we could go ahead and throw that one up, uh, just to give you a little bit of numbers uh, kind of to work from. So if anyone in the state of Texas is 
concern that a child is being abused or neglected, then even if it's police or the medical or, or educators or other family members, it's all routed through what we call the child abuse hotline. Um, and last year, so we're in 2019, these stats are, many of them are from the end of 2018. Uh, as you can see, last year there were ha almost half a million calls to the child abuse hotline just in Texas. Out of those 467,000 calls, 74,000 times they said, this is legitimate. This is verified abuse, neglect, or abandonment. So 74,000 times, so that's what's reported, that's what's caught. It's not everything that's going on clearly, but 74,000 times in Texas, the state verified this is uh, a child being mistreated. And yet, 54,000 times, they left them with the parents. Because if you'll see that next line, it says how many children were removed was 20,685. So 20,000 times out of those 74,000, it was so bad that Texas says, you know what, you can't be with your parents any long for now because um, the situation's too bad for you. So 20,000 children were removed and there were already, so there were 12,000 carried over from the year before, which means that at the end of 2018, there were 32,700 and 93 kids in foster care. Out of those, a third of them, as you can see, 12,339 were, had the year had already passed. They'd already been away from their parents a year. The state has already said, mom and dad, you're not fit to get your kids back. 12,339 kids are waiting for somebody to say, will you be my mom and dad? And we call those forever homes. And then we have uh, kids who turn 18. And at the end of 2018, we had um, 1,200 teenagers um, turn 18, and they are what we call aged out. So they're no longer minors, they're no longer children. And they have the choice, because Texas says, you know what, you probably could use a little more help. If you wanna stay in the foster system and have free room and board and everything taken care of, you can stay in foster care uh, up until you're 21. As long as you're either going to school or working, then you can stay in care until you're 21. In some cases, for some kids, up to 25. But um, the sad truth is most kids, well, do you remember when you were about to turn 18? Don't you remember? You were like, I'm out of here. You know, the world is going to change. Mom and dad are going to treat me like equals. Ha. Anyway, um, and so sadly, the majority of kids that turn 18 do end up leaving foster care. Uh, they do have an opportunity, actually, before they turn 19, they can return, but many of, most of them don't. So, can we go back to that prior verse on the slide, James 127? Um, as I said, God's heart is, is for adoption. Of He adopted us into his family. Uh, he loves us all as his kids. And his heart is very much for the fatherless. 
And these verses that we've looked at tonight, to me, make it very clear it's on his heart. And I've said it several times, I'm going to repeat it. You need to hear what God's speaking to you because not everybody's called to foster, not everybody's called to adopt. Uh, There are so many places in this world where God's love and God's light is so greatly needed. But I believe strongly one of them is in serving his kids. Now, you as a congregation have been so faithful in partnering with us and being part of the solution and financially and, and prayer and just all kinds of ways supporting us and the Devros fostering. And so I say thank you to you guys. Um, my, my, my worst fear would be that someone would leave here feeling guilty or feeling pressured like you have to do something. My strongest desire is that through this, God will speak to you and lay on your heart what, what your part is. And if the answer is nothing right now, then that then God's got other areas for you to serve. Uh, but maybe tonight God is tugging on your heart and saying, this is an area where uh, I could do more. And if you, if you want to serve in ways other than fostering or adopting, we have a volunteer um, department, so to speak, at One Hope where folks are babysitting for foster parents. They're transporting the children to government visits and court vi- appointments and things like that. We have some volunteers that are taking meals to families when they first get uh, placement. So there, there's other ways to serve the families that are that are doing this, but just um, just wanted to make you aware of this area where um, God is doing great things. So if you don't mind, I'll just close with a word of prayer and turn it over to whoever I need to turn it over to. Jesus, probably. All right. <laughs> Jesus, thank you that you gave your life so that we could be adopted. You understand how huge adoption is. It has transformed every one of us in this room that believe in you and made us uh, God's kids. Thank you for making it possible through your sacrifice, through your blood, through your crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus. And I thank you for calling us to come alongside and serve with you. And I thank you for the, the many hundreds of thousands of kids that you've already reached through wonderful, loving, God-fearing, Christ-centered homes. And Lord, I thank you for Alamo Stone and how they partner with us. And so, Lord, I just ask uh, that you'd speak to each person here tonight, uh, that they would clearly hear your voice, Jesus, if you're calling them to do more or to continue what they're doing or to serve you in other areas. Uh, It is an honor to be able to serve you at all because you're such an awesome God. You don't need us, God, but you let us work alongside you. Thank you for letting me work with you and serve you, Lord. And uh, I just pray uh, you continue to guide each one of us in in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) 